I'd like to begin with two case studies that I will describe to you, and then we will um, approach those cases through Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 in particular. A young lady, we'll, well, I guess not young lady, middle-aged lady, uh, we'll call her Peggy, uh, and uh, we're going to call the other lady Susie, so if there are any Peggies or Susies here, I apologize to you, but you have to use some name. Uh, but Peggy comes for counseling. Why does she come? Because outside, it says, the um, Biblical Counseling Center, as part of the Evangelical Free Church that I was pastor of in Visalia, California. And uh, so as we asked her, how did you choose our center? She said, because I want to know what the Bible says. I believe the Bible. I said, well, what causes you to believe the Bible? And she describes recently having placed her faith in Jesus Christ. And as we... uh, go into the PDI and talk with her, we learn that she spent the last seven years in a cult about 15 miles up into the mountains from Visalia. And in that cult, they play musical husband and wife, and uh, she's on her fifth husband. But she and her fifth husband have decided to leave this cult. She has been to psychiatrists and psychologists. Uh, She is depressed And as you listen to her story of abuse and childhood neglect and uh, um, the crazy teachings of this cult and what they've been through, it's no wonder that she's depressed. And now they're back out in the real world and they've got to make their own decisions, whereas in the you know, the past seven years, all their decisions have been made by the cult leader and they just did what they were told and to the point of, you know, switching husbands or wives um, regularly every year or so. And, um, and it's a mess. And she describes this and she's been prescribed Prozac and she's on the Prozac. Doesn't really feel that it's helping that much. Um, but that is basically her situation as she comes in. Then I want to describe another uh, woman, uh, a pastor's wife. We're calling her Susie. She's from a town about 20 miles away, but they too have heard about the Biblical Counseling Center and that we just counsel from the Word of God. And Peggy, who has come, she knows enough to know that the Bible is supposed to have the answers. But she doesn't have any regular Bible reading plan. She doesn't, she'd never been really discipled. Uh, in fact, at this point, since this case is that many years old, I can't actually remember now um, how she came to know the Lord. But her testimony was real and genuine. And so as you believe what they're telling you at the beginning, I took her at her word uh, as she was expressing a faithful justification by faith testimony. And we progressed from there. But Susie is a pastor's wife. And as we do the PDI, uh, Susie has been discipled. Susie knows the Lord Jesus Christ definitely. Susie is faithfully serving in her church. Susie is faithfully serving her husband, who is a pastor. Susie is faithfully serving her family. Susie is in the Word regularly. As we work for 35 to 40 minutes, and we're looking for something that can be the root cause of the panic attacks that Susie is having, Um, there's absolutely nothing. If you were going to describe the perfect housewife and the perfect mom, uh, the perfect pastor's wife, as best we can tell, she's that. But she's having these panic attacks where her heart is pounding, her hands are sweaty, 
her mind just rushes from thing to thing where she's thinking, you know, uh, my husband has to work two jobs because he's only a part-time pastor and he's a part-time painter. And uh, because he has to work two jobs, uh, he's going to overwork. And then when he overworks, he's going to have a heart attack. And then when he has a heart attack, he's going to die. And then when he dies, we don't have any insurance. And uh, I'm going to have to raise two girls all by myself. And we wanted them to go to the master's university, and they're not going to be able to go to any school, let alone uh, that kind of a private college. And uh, her mind just goes on and on about this. So I question her. I said, well, what about your husband's schedule? Does the church realize that he's part-time staff and that he can't be required to work 40 hours a week if he's 20 hours? Oh, no, the church is very good about that. They're very careful not to overwork. Okay, well, what about the painting job? Does he overwork? No, my husband is actually really careful about organizing his time and, and he actually balances his time really well. So the, the fear of him dying because he's overworking from these two jobs is really an irrational fear, right? Yes, it is. But it doesn't stop it. And the last panic attack, she's in the middle of the grocery store. The cart is full. But she is suddenly overwhelmed with these terrors. Remember how Shona Marie described it in her testimony yesterday? How just being overwhelmed by terror. And that's the way she felt. And her heart is pounding. She leaves the cart in the middle of the store, runs to her car, jumps in the car, uh, drives home, hits the button to raise the garage door. And finally, when she's sitting in the garage door, gripping the steering wheel, she finally is able to kind of get control of herself. At that point, in describing that to her husband, they decide, we need some help. And they've heard about the Biblical Counseling Center, and so they come. Now, in Peggy's case, there is a history of stress and uh, immoral living, uh, cult thinking. There's a total background in this way, and you kind of say, well, it's no wonder she's depressed coming out of that background. Now, with this case, it's the... These are really anxiety, panic attacks that Susie is having. But there's nothing at all that you can put your finger on. But in both cases, what I did, and again, do you have good tools in your toolbox? That's one of Randy Patton's favorite expressions about having good tools in your toolbox. Well, at that time, I had this tool in my toolbox. So I reached into my drawer and I pulled out for both these ladies in the first session, pulled out this outline. And I gave them a copy of the outline and uh, a copy to the lady that was sitting in with me uh, and uh, uh, as a counselor in training. And I said, let's begin to look through this. And I said to Susie, Susie, I don't have any idea what's going on. I mean, we've been talking for 40 minutes And I can't, in my evaluation, come up with anything which could be at the root of these panic attacks that you're having. I don't have an idea. I don't have a clue. But I do know that in this passage of Scripture, God gives us, through the Apostle Paul, uh, a plan which I think you can put into practice, and I trust that it will give you some hope. And so I want to explain it to you and talk about it, and then I want to ask you what you think of it when we're done explaining it. And with Peggy, I said to Peggy, you need to place your trust completely in God. 
Only God can really give you hope. And you have described all these things she is anxious about and concerned about, and you are depressed, but let's look at Scripture and let's give you a plan that you could start practicing today that may help you to set your mind on Him instead of on all of these issues that you now have to make decisions about, that you're anxious about, that you are also overwhelmed by, that are depressing you. So both of them said, okay, we're ready to go. So let's look at it. So we began to look at this passage. And um, we talked about the fact that fear or worry, uh, they're very respectable sins. If I said to you today, how many of you have worried about something in the last 24 hours? You know, probably most of us would raise our hand. No problem. But if I said to you, how many of you have had real immoral thoughts in the last 24 hours, you're not going to be quite so happy to put up your hand. You see, because worry is an acceptable sin, immorality and immoral thinking is not so acceptable. We really don't want the guy sitting next to us to know about that kind of stuff that we're dealing with. And so we've made it acceptable, but what does God say about it? There's a direct command in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So worry actually is sin, and it needs to be confessed, and we need to deal with it. But in this passage, he's actually talking about peace, because he says in verse 6 that as we turn that over to God in prayer and supplication, specific prayer, with thanksgiving, and let our requests be made known to God, the peace of God will then guard our hearts. And then down in verse 9, that as we practice setting our mind on the things that are good and doing the things that you've learned from the Apostle Paul, then when you do that, the peace of God will be with you. And this whole paragraph goes together. And so think about it with me. And Susie, Peggy, what I want you to do, I want you to begin to memorize this outline of the passage this week. I want you to to learn the seven R's, to rejoice in the Lord, to resolve to be gentle or patient, to remember the Lord is near, to rely on prayer, to rest your mind on whatever, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, and I want you then to reach out and to practice what is good. And so uh, Paul gives us this. Now, does, do you think Paul has anything to worry about? Do you know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? Peggy didn't know. Susie did. Uh, He was in prison. And you know, people were talking about him. People were uh, undermining his ministry. They were still preaching Christ, but they were undermining Paul's ministry. Well, you know, I will preach Christ, but here's another believer, and I'm going to undermine his ministry. And that's what they were doing to Paul. And Paul had that. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, Paul says he had to learn contentment. So Paul is struggling with some issues. There's some ladies in the church that aren't getting along. And Paul has to write to them, Yodia and Syntyche, and and, uh, he has to tell them to get along. He has to confront that situation. He's got issues that he has to deal with. He thinks his life might soon be over, that he's being poured out. But he wants to just live for Christ in those times. 
And what does he now say for us to do? The first thing is, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You see, you can always rejoice in the Lord. It's the middle of the night, and you are feeling entirely alone, and you are struggling to keep your mind on anything positive, and everything seems negative, and it's all coming through that grid of negativity that comes with depression. When you're depressed, everything seems negative. It doesn't matter that it is the truth of God, and you've known it as the truth of God. In my case, for you know, 45 years, I've known this as the truth of God, but now it's, okay, I, it's true, it's true for you, but it doesn't apply to me anymore because I must be apostate. Somehow, I must have never been in the elect. And that's what's going through my mind. But rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the same. The Lord is always good. The Lord is always wise. The Lord is always sovereign. The Lord is the one who has placed the stars in the sky. He's the one who has... Uh, worked in every way to provide all of creation. He gives you the ability to breathe right now, and you're doing that even unconsciously as you listen, and he is the one that's there. You can always rejoice in the Lord, and he says rejoice in the Lord always. So instantly, it's the middle of the night, Susie, and you wake up with these anxious, terrified thoughts. You can rejoice in the Lord. You can stop and say, wait, God is faithful. God is still on the throne. God is still the Savior. I can rejoice firm in my faith. Uh, I can be thankful for as I rejoice in Him. I can even rejoice that I have a good husband. I can rejoice that I have a faithful husband. I can rejoice in the fact that I have a husband who loves the Lord and is serving the Lord. And you can rejoice in the Lord. So keep a little notebook by your bed. And if you have to turn on the light, then just write in Write some things you're thankful for. Begin there. But the second step is resolve to be gentle or patient. That can be translated. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. So let your gentle resolve to be patient be known to all. Tell the Lord at that point, Father, I don't like this. I don't like these thoughts. I don't like being terrified. I don't like being depressed. For Peggy, I don't like having to make all these decisions now. I don't feel like I'm adequate to make these decisions. But Lord, I'm going to resolve to be patient. I'm going to resolve to be gentle. I'm going to resolve to just trust you. And then the next step is, remember, it says, the Lord is near. Remember that God hasn't gone any place. God is right there. Not only is he right there with you, he is literally in you. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, he can do more than you ask or even think. And so, uh, resolve to be gentle or patient and remember that the Lord is near. So you can stop and then you can remember God is here, God is with me, God hasn't gone any place. God will never leave me or forsake me. God lives within me in the person of his Holy Spirit. He is my strength. And then you've got to refuse to be anxious. What are you anxious about? And just say, Lord, this is sin. 
my worry right now, it's going around and around in my mind. My husband's going to die. He has to work two jobs. He's going to work himself to death. Uh, when he dies, we have no insurance. Uh, therefore, I'm going to have to go to work. I don't have any skills. Time out, Lord. This is sin. I am worrying about something that isn't even happening. This is sin. I confess it to you as sin. Now I rely on prayer. What kind of prayer? Well, it's very specific. Be anxious for nothing. Just say no. Say this is worry. This is sin. I confess it. Now, what do I do then? Uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, when you can't find the book, when you can't find your keys, in everything, pray. One of my experiences that, this is two or three years ago now, but Mary was gone for the weekend. I'm going to get to church early and just have extra time to fellowship with the folks. And so um, I'm ready to leave the house, and all of a sudden, uh, I, 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 I reach for my wallet, and uh, my wallet, it's not there. Well, I carry my wallet there all the time because I've had problems with my back and they said don't carry the wallet in your hip pocket because uh, where I always used to carry it, don't carry it there. So I looked all over the house. Then I realized, well, the last place I was, last night I stopped to Starbucks to have an oatmeal for supper that they had and I stopped there and I had oatmeal for, I'm, I must have left it at Starbucks. So I get in the car and drive to Starbucks. I asked them, no, they don't have any wallet turned in, don't have it there. So I go back to the house. This time I've, by this time I've missed entire Sunday school, you know, let alone the fellowship beforehand. And you know, as I'm, um, as I'm standing there in the middle of the house, after looking for an hour, going to Starbucks, I say, Lord, I don't know where my wallet is. I haven't prayed at all at this point, you know. I've just been frantically looking. I haven't prayed at all. I said, Lord, I don't know where my wallet is. Lord, would you please show me, you know, show me where my wallet is. My wallet was in my hip pocket the whole time. Because that morning when I got up, I followed, you know, a 45 to 50 year career of putting my wallet in my hip pocket instead of putting it in my front pocket where I now carry it because of the problem I've had with my back. And, you know, I'd spent an hour and a half driven to Starbucks, I never stopped to pray. And really, I, mean, I just think that illustrates it's a praying life. That's a great book. Uh, if you haven't read that by Paul Miller, A Praying Life, write that one down and get that and read it. That's the whole idea is it's to be a praying life. It says in the text then uh, Be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer, general, and supplication, specific. Lord, you know about the details. You know where these crazy thoughts are coming from. Lord, these thoughts are irrational. In the daylight, these thoughts will look totally different. Or in 15 minutes, when my heart quits pounding like this, they'll look different. But Lord, I pray specifically right now, please remove these thoughts. Please help me to think rationally. Please help me to put my trust in you. 
please help me to remember that you are near, that you haven't gone any place. And pray specifically with thanksgiving, it says. Lord, thank you for these irrational thoughts. Thank you for these panic attacks. Lord, thank you for this depression. Somehow, because it says in your word that you will work all things together for good, somehow you are going to use this for good. I can't see it now, Lord, but thank you. You see, if you thank God by faith in the middle of the trial and for the trial um, and for what he's going to do through the trial, you are really exhibiting faith. If I, you know, took a $20 bill out of my pocket right now and uh, I ask for somebody's birthday going backwards instead of forwards, uh, the closest one, and I walked up to you and handed you the $20 bill just as a gift, you wouldn't have any problem saying, well, thanks, Bob. You know, your, your mama taught you to say thank you when, when somebody gives you a gift. Totally unexpected. You didn't expect it. And you would thank me. On the other hand, if suddenly at, well, I don't know how many doors we've got here, but at every door, a big guy like six foot eight, weighing about 290 pounds and looking like he just stepped out of one of those, you know, you know machines that buffs you up really good, you know, he just ripples with muscles. And uh, we decided to charge an extra 20 bucks for the seminar today. These guys are collecting. You can't get out of here until you pay. Oh, wait a minute, that wasn't in, David, Michael didn't tell me about that. What is this? You know, where's Mark Shaw? I don't like him anymore. You know, he's worried about that. So I don't like him anymore. And there'd be, there'd be a totally different response. But by faith, I thank God for the trial and I thank God for the gift. Because count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tests of your faith. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. By the way, I know the will of God for you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In every circumstance. So we, we give thanks. Now, does it feel good? No. Am I thankful that my loved one is ill in the sense of No. It's difficult and it's hard and to watch them suffer uh, breaks my heart. But I can say, thank you, Lord, that I know that somehow in the light of eternity, right now, what does Philippians chapter 3 say? We are knowing him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And it's much easier to know him in the fellowship of his resurrection. When we see the power of God demonstrated in resurrection power, and there's no other explanation. That was just God's act. He healed her. That was just God's act. He protected me. In that resurrection power moment, it's very easy. But in the fellowship of his sufferings, we ought to give thanks as well. And that's what this scripture is teaching us. In everything, you pray with supplication with thanksgiving, and you let your requests be known to God. So you rejoice in the Lord, you resolve to be gentle, patient, you remember the Lord is near, you refuse to be anxious and fearful, and you turn that over to Him, that anxiety, that 
worry, that fear, where you're going, what if, what if, what if, what if. Now, you don't turn the concern. If you look at chapter 11, verse 28 of 2 Corinthians in the left-hand column of your notes, it says, apart from such external things, there is daily the pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. That's the same Greek word. See, Paul has daily on him the concern for those churches. And if my husband is sick, my wife is sick, my child is sick, I'm going to pray, and that's going to come back to my mind, and I'm going to pray again. It's going to come back to my mind, I'm going to pray again. It's going to come back to my mind, I pray again. There's that daily, moment-by-moment concern that doesn't go away, but we are now taking that to him. But if I'm going, you know, what if my husband gets overworked? What if my husband dies? What if we don't have insurance? What if I have to go to work? What if I don't have any skills that make me marketable to go to work anymore? What will happen to my children? See, that's what if. Actually, it's not a genuine concern because it's irrational and it's worry and there's a difference. So you rely on prayer, as we've talked about it. Then you rest your mind on whatever is excellent or whatever is praiseworthy. You put your mind on what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. So you have to now look through that text. Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Well, what is true? 1 Corinthians 10.13 is true. There has no temptation, test, trial overtaken you, but such is his common demand. <clears throat> How many million people worldwide dealing with depression? It's common demand. It, one of the most common problems. Read Spurgeon's book, um, Besides Still Waters. It's a devotional for, you know, I don't know how many devotions are in there, but it just simply goes through the Bible over and over again. Spurgeon is mentioning depression as an issue. He suffered from depression. He says it was one of the most common maladies in London in his ministry. Nothing new under the sun. It's true. Common problem. Faithful God. Then there are also common solutions, ways to work through this. So <clears throat> you rest your mind on what is true. And then it says that you rest your mind on whatever is honorable. And so whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there is excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So you want to put your heart and your mind on the things that are true and honorable. Is this honorable? Uh, is it something that uh, is good and full of integrity and right? I can put my mind on that. Uh, is it pure? Uh, think about this in terms of what do you then watch before you go to bed? There is so much research now. Uh, you can read a good book. I don't know if you like mysteries, but uh, if you like a John Grisham thriller... You can read that, but if you watch that on television an hour before you go to bed, that has a different way of stimulating your mind through your eyes and what it does to your brain than reading it. Now, reading it, you may stay up all night and just keep turning pages. Now, that's not going to be, but it doesn't do the same thing to your mind. 
the blue lights in your bedroom, uh, simply using a mask to get complete darkness. Um, but get off your computer and get off screens for at least an hour before you go to bed. And especially if somebody's dealing with depression, th- you need to help them work on some of these things. The book uh, Reset that I mentioned last night by David Murray uh, really helps in dealing with those things. Now, remember also I mentioned all the things they had in common, Usain Bolt, uh, Roger Federer, Serena Williams, etc. And I mentioned Tiger Woods. But I think I forgot to mention the thing that's different about Tiger Woods. They all average 8 to 12 hours a day of sleep. Tiger Woods averages 5. Does that possibly have something to do with how his career has gone? I don't know. But it's just an interesting thing to think about. And I would encourage you, again... Exercise, what the doctor said last night, exercise and diet and sleep. Be thinking about those things, but when you're putting your mind on what is pure, ask yourself even, well, what have I been putting my mind on? And here again, don't watch the news before you go to bed, especially if you're depressed. In fact, in depression, I just quit watching the news, period. I couldn't handle any more bad news. I had enough of it just in my own thoughts all day long, every day. In fact, I've organized the way I take in the news now. I, I read the signal and I read the sift from World Magazine, but I basically watch no news because I get all the news that I need there, but I can't handle anymore all the news of all the world and all the things that are going on in all the world that I have no control over and that I can't deal with. And I've had to adjust that. Now, you may be able to watch the news every night and it doesn't bother you. But you may have to learn to adjust things. And am I putting my mind on what's lovely, what is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise? Dwell on these things. And you know what? Jesus is all these things. Put your mind on Jesus. Keep reading the gospel. Part of my daily reading plan now is to, I read two chapters in the gospel every day. That's my, that's my goal, okay? I don't make my goal, but that's my goal. Two chapters in the gospel every day, just to keep my mind on Jesus. And I love the gospel of Mark most of all because immediately he's doing this and immediately he's doing that and immediately he's doing this. And it's just so uh, much emphasis on the power of God to meet all of our needs. So rest your mind on what is excellent. And then reach out and practice what is good. Paul says in verse 9, the things you have seen, learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look at the verse just under that, Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example. Paul is not afraid to say, follow my example. Follow my example. And then he tells us in Corinthians, as I follow Christ, follow me. So follow my example where I'm following Christ. But follow my example. What have you learned? What have you heard? What have you seen in me? Well, I'm thanking God for people that are preaching the gospel, even though they're undermining my ministry, and they're only preaching the gospel to cause me consternation. I'm thanking the Lord that the gospel is getting preached. And so I'm just going to rejoice in that. I know I'm sitting in prison, and I may be on my last legs and pouring out my life, but for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
I'm going to remember that death is gain. I'm going to put my mind on that truth. So the thing is, what Paul practiced doing good. He worked with his hands so that he didn't become a burden uh, to those in ministry. And so uh, what could you do that would be good right now? So, Susie, you're in bed. And all of a sudden, your heart's pounding. You wake up in the middle of the night, your heart's pounding. Your mind is racing on all this crazy stuff. And it's just going through your mind like crazy. And uh, you're all upset. What are you going to do? Stop. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in Him. I'm going to praise Jesus for His goodness. I'm going to praise God that He's wise, that He's good, that He's sovereign. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to be patient with this. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't like it. But Lord, I will be patient with this. And I'll be gentle with others around me. And Lord, help me to remember that you're right here with me. In fact, you are living in me right now. And Lord, this is sin. I'm worrying now. These are irrational thoughts. I confess that is sin. Lord, thank you that you've woken me up in the middle of the night. Thank you that you're in this trial and you're in it for good. Now, Lord, help me to just thank you for my husband and help me to thank you for the church who doesn't put this kind of stress on him. And now, Lord, help me to go back to sleep. And then, Lord, I want to put my mind on what is good and what is pure and what is lovely and what is excellent. And uh, I put my mind on that. But I'm still wide awake So now I'm going to get up, I'm going to go downstairs, and I'm going to sit down in the chair there and turn on the light, and I'm going to read several psalms. Because, you know, Paul said, send the parchments to me so I can study the word. So I'm just going to read from the psalms and see if that will quiet my heart. And then that doesn't work. So, well, okay, Paul wrote letters to other people. So I'm going to go at the kitchen and take a note, and I'm going to write a note to... Henrietta, because, you know, her husband died uh, last month and she must be lonely. I'm going to write her a little note. And uh, I'm going to fix some extra snacks for the kids and I'm going to put a little note in their uh, lunchbox that they're taking to school tomorrow. I'm going to do something good. I'm going to reach out and do good. So we go all through this. And uh, I said to Susie, all right, Susie. um, Well, I also recommended to Susie that start a nighttime regime. I said to her, listen, uh, I have been teaching you the word of God. This is God's word. This is absolute authority. But right now I'm going to step out of my line as a biblical counselor and I'm going to just be your friend and your brother in the Lord. And I'm going to say to you that I have found that uh, if you can do some things like plan for bedtime an hour ahead, Maybe read uh, a quiet book. Don't read a John Grisham Thiller, uh, but read a quiet book. Um, Maybe read some poetry. Read something that's quiet, or just read maybe the Psalms. And then take a hot bath and have a cup of chamomile or sleepy time herbal tea and have a bedtime regime. And then specifically, this is biblical, get down on your knees and pray and ask God for a good night's rest. And so maybe that setting up some kind of a routine like that, and I suggest that you go by the nutrition shop that's down the road from the church here, pick up some of that herbal tea, uh, chamomile tea, and just have a cup of that. It 
I believe um, will help you. I said, okay, she would try that. But I said, now, what do you think? We've, we've taken, because I took the last, in this case, about 30 minutes, just about going through it, not quite as detailed as I've done with you, but really explaining this to her. And I said, well, so, Susie, what do you think? She said, I really have hope. I said, okay, well, what gives you hope? She said, well, when I came here, I had no idea of anything to do. I just thought I was at the mercy of these feelings. But she said, look it, you, you can just, you know, it's right on this sheet so she can look at this side, look over here and say, well, that just, it's just a way of putting it, it all with ours that helps me to remember, but it's all just, it's right out of the text. It's exactly what Paul said to do. And you're right, he had, he had his own worries and fears and concerns. But he tells us, and she said, I can try this. I can do this. This gives me a plan, and I, it really gives me some hope. And I said, well, that's really encouraging uh, to me to hear that the Spirit of God has encouraged you that way with this. So let's pray, and then we will come back together next week. We will do more data gathering and see if we can find another, any kind of route for your issue. But... Uh, come, we'll, we'll work on it that way. And so she said, great. Uh, she and her husband went home. And uh, Peggy, almost the kind of same response. Only with Peggy, it's like, this is all like really brand new. And I mean, it's like, oh my, I didn't know the Bible said things like this. It was so specific. Uh, this is good. So she went home and she began to work on this. So, uh, Susie comes back the next week. How are you doing? She said, it's amazing. Uh, I've only had like three or four minor attacks. She said, and both times it happened during the night. She said, as soon as I started rejoicing in the Lord and I started thanking God for who he is and praising him, well, it went away. And I was able to calm down and I didn't even have to go on through the rest. I said, well, but are you working on learning it all? Yeah, she was learning the whole seven R's, as I call it, and uh, she was memorizing the passage because over a three- or four-week period, I asked her, I started with verse 6, then I asked her to memorize 4 and 5, and then we had 7 and 8 and 9, and over four or five weeks. She said, I don't personally believe in giving, I wouldn't give them four, four to nine all in one week. I like to spread that out over four or five weeks while they're really uh, doing a Discovering Wonderful Things sheet that we'll talk about in the afternoon session where they're studying each verse and working it through um, in their life and really working it into their life. So in that session, we do some more research. Now, why I didn't get to this in the first session, I'm not sure because it's in a PDI. But we come to the question of, you know, caffeine intake. So I said, uh, you know, that's there. And she said, uh, I said, <clears throat> have a cup of coffee in the morning or two cups of coffee in the morning, maybe even another one later in the morning. And for lunch, you know, Coke. And for supper, tea. And uh, I said, do you drink, oh, hot chocolate was another thing that was in there. And I said, uh, do you drink anything that isn't caffeinated? And she said, well, kind of like when I brush my teeth, you know. Uh, so, but everything she drank was caffeinated. And so I said, would you be willing to try an experiment? I'm not a doctor. I'm not the son of a doctor. Um, I did say, 
but my grandfather was a doctor, but that doesn't count. And so um, I said, but would you be willing to try an experiment that possibly your body is reacting to the caffeine? She's in her 40s now. I asked her, you know, when did, how, when did you get started with all the caffeine? Oh, she said, man, I was drinking Coke for breakfast when I was in high school. That doesn't sound good to me, but you know. But I remember in seminary, guys drinking Coke for breakfast, Um, and so uh, I said, "Well, would you do try an experiment? Let's just cut out the caffeine this week." I said, "You're going to have some problems with that, probably. Uh, You're going to get jittery. You're going to have headaches, uh, probably. Uh, But uh, would you be willing to try just cutting out the caffeine?" On her case, she cut it all out. Came back the next week, I haven't had any panic attacks. She'd had struggles with uh, headaches and some of that, but no more panic attacks. So we continued with that. She never had another panic attack after she cut out the caffeine. So what was the root? Um, Caffeine. Had another lady from our church with exactly the same issues. We went through the, almost exactly the same thing. It would be like a duplicate. A lady from our church, walking with God, everything was right. But in her case, I asked about it in the first session, and she started booking out from the first. Now, uh, Susie was able to go, um, the, girl from, the lady from our church ended up going back to a cup of coffee in the morning, one. Uh, Susie found out she couldn't handle caffeine anymore. She never went back to any caffeine, or at least as far as I knew in follow-up for several years. She never went back to any caffeine. But things like that, we, we just need to begin to learn because there can be a root um, that's there. But she was already seeing a change because of the biblical pattern. And uh, after working with Peggy for about eight weeks, uh, and her just continually growing. I was teaching her how to read the Bible. I was teaching her how to pray the Bible back to God because uh, she had never been discipled. So the lady that was working with me was meeting with her on the side, and they were going through some basic discipleship material as well. And uh, about eight weeks, I said, well, you know, let's go back now and let's talk about that the Prozac and the medication that you mentioned in the first session. Uh, she says, I'm not taking that anymore. I said, you aren't? She said, no. She said, I stopped that about four weeks ago. I said, did your doctor advise that? No. I just thought it wasn't doing me any good anyways. And uh, this was really helping me, so I just stopped cold turkey. I said, ah, that's not really a good idea. She said, well, why not? And I explained that, you know, you need to taper off. And and she said, well, I just stopped. She had no ramifications in her case, and with Prozac, uh, um, could have been. So you don't advise that, but she had already done it because I hadn't even mentioned the Prozac since the first session because actually that's kind of the way I work with it. Uh, Unless I see that they're exhibiting what I know are specific side effects, because you can just Google Prozac and side effect, and it will show you side effect. And if they're expressing to you things there that are really could be just the medication, then ask them to talk to their doctor, and hopefully you've got a doctor like uh, our friend that spoke last night and um, that you can work with, 
which may not always be the case, but uh, you can work with them and have them follow up on that. But we haven't even talked about it, but she quit. And, you know, and what she said was, you know, he says, I, I call Philippians 4, 4 to 9 my, my, my Christian Prozac. <laughs> I said, well, okay. Uh, and in her case, it's, it's working fine. Um, as I said, uh, we don't advise that. Remember what was said last night, strongly don't advise that. By the way, there is a book by Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N. He is uh, a Jewish psychiatrist, but he takes the same position we do on medication, that it may be a grace of God at times, but it really doesn't answer your basic issues that you've got to deal with. And um, uh, his book has a whole section about tapering off slowly, as it was recommended last night. Um, and he has a whole section on that uh, in his book, which is very uh, excellently done. So if you look now at the next page of your outline, uh, questions for application. These are some questions and things that you might have someone do <clears throat> over a four or five week period that you're working with them, where they might begin to answer some of these questions uh, and work with them. But a plan for application is basically what I gave to them. Read one chapter a day in the book of Philippians. Keep a journal recording what portion you read for the day and answer one of the following question. And then it gives you several questions. But read Philippians 4, 4 to 9 every day. Review the outline on fear and worry and anxiety each day, seeking to memorize the outline. Meditate and do a Discovering Wonderful Things study guide on Philippians 4.6 and practice Philippians 4.6 when you're tempted. So that would be like, this would be the specific homework that I gave to particularly Peggy. Uh, Susie's was a little bit different, but very similar uh, in the way I approached that with them. But you got them reading the whole passage, Philippians 4.4-9, every day. You've got them trying to memorize an outline that will help them to have a plan of attack in what they can practice when these thoughts come to them in the middle of the night uh, in depression or in fear and anxiety. And then uh, you have them taking one verse and zeroing in on it. And that's what we will talk about that and show you that this afternoon. I'm quite sure probably many of you are very familiar with it already, but you may not be. And we'll talk about that in the the afternoon session, the Lord willing, and uh, work through how do you do a Discovering Wonderful Things sheet in working with that. And so uh, the book by Elise Fitzpatrick, Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety, is excellent. Uh, And David Powelson's um, booklet, Worry, uh, pursuing a better path to peace is another thing that you could give as collateral. I call it collateral reading, where you have them reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word. Remember this, praying the Word back to God. Lord, help me not to be anxious about anything. Help me today when anxious thoughts come to pray first and to pray with thanksgiving. Help me to be willing to thank you by faith for my trials, Lord. And help me to pray specifically so that you can guard my heart with your peace. And you're asking God then. Remember 1 John 5, 14? This is the confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. 
and we know that we have what we ask. If I'm asking according to God's will, I know that he hears me. Does God want me to stop being anxious? Yes. How do I know that? Because he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Does God want me to pray about everything? Lord, help me to remember to pray about everything. To pray when I get in the car, keep me safe till I get to work. When I close my eyes, to pray that you will deliver me from nightmares and bring me through till the morning. That we need him every moment. I mean, I almost got smacked in the parking lot this morning. Then I'm pulling out and realize I'm in the wrong lane, and I pulled right in front of another guy, and he almost smacked me, and it was my fault. You know, and, and Mary and I both said, thank you, Lord. You're already watching over us through the day, and we should have prayed already for safety, but you're already taking care of it. Thank you. You know, um, it's just we need him all the time. We have no idea how many times, like last, he has sent his angels to minister, and we weren't at all aware of it. Uh, in that. And I, <laughs> I, I chuckle because um, one of my friends riding with me one day when I was driving absentmindedly as I can tend to get my mind on something and do that, you know, he said, you know, Bob, if you would think more carefully when you drive, God could take f- the four angels he has on each corner of this car <laughs> and assign them someplace else. <laughs> they're... they're there might be somebody in greater need you really need. And so, um, you know, because it, it is a truth, I have to pray because I can, I can get thinking about something that is on my mind and not be thinking clearly about what I'm doing. We need God all the time and uh, not just for driving absent-mindedly. So um, let's pray as we close and just trust this to God and uh, as we're working in these areas of dealing with those that are dealing with depression. Father, you are great. You are good. You are sovereign. And you are wise. Father, you never make a mistake. The most difficult trial that we are facing right now is not an error. You didn't say, whoops, uh, but rather you are at work in it. And we know that you are working it all together for good. And Lord, that you even take, as Joseph put it, the evil that is intended against us, and you turn it for good. And so, Lord, we know that uh, in eternity, as we are fully able to look at your plan, we will see things there that we don't see now, that we have to walk by faith. So help us to walk by faith now. Help us in everything to give thanks in every circumstance. Help us to pray specifically. Help us to rejoice in you. Lord, help us to resolve to be patient. Lord, we want our answers now. Uh, We are so impatient. We ask you, Lord, to give us patience. And thank you, Lord, for seeing us through this time this morning. Uh, Thank you for speaking to our hearts and encouraging us in the worship, Lord. Thank you that you are our refuge in the night and we can stand firm in the blood of Christ that has cleansed us from all sin and gives us a hope that goes beyond the grave where one day we will stand with our resurrected Lord and worship him for eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's people said, 
Amen.